This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, good morning, everyone. Good to have you all here today. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to thank you for your word, which speaks of what happened in history, and we pray that we may see what you have done through David and how people reacted to your kindness through David, and also what it means for us today. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, when I was a very young boy, before I was even in primary school, I remember going on a trip to Malaysia, to one of the beaches, and I... This is one of the earliest memories that I have of going to Malaysia. And it was with some family and friend. It was a large group of people. And I don't even know who they were, really, when I think back. But all I remember is it was quite a big group of people. And there was a much older boy who was with us. I think he must have been uh, in his late teens. I was only very young, so I can't really remember the details. But he insisted uh, on walking out to the coral and I, I mean, I don't even know whether beaches in Malaysia have coral anymore, so it must have been such a long time ago. But I remember that he was very insistent that he wanted to go out to walk out to the coral. And uh, some of the older people in the group said, no, no, you can't go out there because there are lots of sea urchins. And he said, no, 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 you know, I, I, I want to go out anyway. So then, remember one of them offered, them, offered him to uh, lend him his uh, reef shoes. And he said, no, no, it's okay, I've got slippers. I can walk with slippers out to see the coral. And the reason why I remember it, uh, this incident so clearly, even though I was so young, was because, indeed, he actually did step on a sea urchin. And I remember him being in such terrible pain. And uh, it still stays with me today. So, you know, you know what sea urchins look like, right? So they're all like this. So, the, the, you know, what I saw was he actually had all these things sticking out of him uh, at his, uh, I know, after getting stung by the, the, the sea urchin. And that's why I still remember it after all these years, one of the earliest memories that I have. And I think I remember how foolish it was for this boy to ignore the kindly advice of the older people in uh, the group. And also the kindly offer of offering him the, the reshoes which he rejected. And I think today's passage has among those themes uh, that I just shared, the, the idea of foolishness, the idea of kindness, and the idea of pain and tragedy. Because as we looked at chapter 9 last week, uh, there was the introduction to us of the word hesed. Hesed meaning kindness, extraordinary kindness. And we learned that this kindness was something beyond expectations, beyond uh, human kindness. It was actually a characteristic of God's kindness. So last week when we began chapter 9, if you look up here in the slide, it tells us of how David wanted to give hesed, kindness, this extraordinary kindness, and show God's hesed kindness to the family of Saul. And we saw that David was like a window to which we could see a miniature or a model or a window of God's kindness. And what kindness that was, because it literally meant that the son of his enemy, the son of the family that tried to kill David for generations and, and, and for decades, a potential rival to his throne, who was lame in both legs, was actually welcomed into David's family as part of the family and always ate at the king's table. Now last week, we ended chapter 9 with these words, And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Now as we look at this passage, we see that David offered extraordinary hazard kindness 
But the chapter ends with Mephibosheth grabbing that kindness with both hands and always being in Jerusalem and always being at the king's table. It was Hesed kindness extraordinarily given, Hesed kindness gratefully received. Now today, we're introduced to another act of kindness on the part of David. So in verse 1 and 2, it says, In the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanun succeeded him as king. David thought, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanun concerning his father. Now, again, paralleling what we saw in chapter 9, David takes it upon himself to show kindness to an enemy. Now, the Enomites, Ammonites were historically enemies of Israel. And it began because they, they actually hired a prophet to curse God's people. And as we saw, they actually for a time, conquered God's people, and they were very nasty, brutish, cruel people. And their relationship was filled with violence, hostility, and deep hatred. So in 1 Samuel chapter 11, just to give you an idea of the sort of atrocities and the sort of uh, ill will that there was between the two of them, it reads, Nahash, probably the same guy, the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treaty with us, and we will be subject to you. Jabesh Gilead is part of Israel. But Nehesh the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you, and so bring disgrace on all Israel. So this is the sort of relationship that the Ammonites and Israel had. But somewhere along the line, when David was in exile, somewhere where he was being chased by King Saul, when he was outside of Israel and the Philistines, Nahash showed David some kindness. So David here felt a duty to reciprocate and show kindness back to Nahash. But the kindness that he's showing here is actually beyond and above what normal kindness would be. Because unlike chapter 9, David is not bound by covenant. There is no oath that David gave to Nahash where he said, I will always show kindness to generations of your, of your people. The kindness that relationship that he had with Nahash was just between Nahash and himself. He didn't need to show it to his son. But here, David shows, has said extraordinary kindness again to someone else, and this time to Hanun, the son of Nahash. But what happens when this kindness is shown? Well, in verse 2 onwards it says, When David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, the Ammonite commander said to Hanun their lord, Do you think David is honoring your father by sending envoys to you to express sympathy? Hasn't David sent them to you only to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? So Hanun seized David's envoys, shaved off half each man's beards, cut off their garments at their buttocks and sent them away. Now, if we thought that chapter 10 would just be like a repeat of chapter 9, right? You know, we've seen this episode before. We see now that it's very different. Because actually when Mephibosheth first heard of what David's kindness was going to be, he also reacted with disbelief, right? So remember what, how Mephibosheth reacted last time? He said, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And here as well, the Ammonites, they react with disbelief. 
that David would show such kindness to begin with. They're like, ah, can you really believe that David would do something like this? No, right? But Mephibosheth grabbed onto David's kindness, even though initially he disbelieved. But here we see that the Ammonites are totally different. Instead of grabbing onto David's kindness, they spit on David's kindness. They react to David's kindness with contempt and abuse, shamefully. Now, obviously, they may have been concerned that David's messengers were here to spy out the city so that they could come and conquer it later. But they could have just sent them back to Israel. They could have kept them in their rooms, or maybe they could have had spies watching them. They could have just done that. But instead, they really, really treated them shamefully and abused them. Uh, They cut off half the beard, and uh, in the ancient world, your beard was a sense of dignity. So, I mean, to cut half of it off, you know, obviously is to mock you. But more than that, they, they got their pants, and people can't agree whether they cut off the buttocks or cut off the middle part. But the whole point is so that you, when you walk around, your private parts are exposed, right? It's a bit like someone in our Bible study group saying, imagine if you heard that uh, somebody died and you went to their wake. You know, and you went to their wake, you put on your nice clothes, you took the trouble to bring go there, you bring your angpa or whatever, and then instead of accepting you, they would uh, they, they, they draw stuff on your face, right? And then uh, they decide to cut a hole in your pants. Right? It's like, what sort of treatment is that? But this is something which the Ammonites did. But I think that as we reflect on this passage, because of what we read in chapter 9, we see that David's kindness is actually a reflection of God's kindness. So the Ammonites are not just spitting on David's kindness, they're actually spitting on God's kindness which comes through David. Now, I think that it's not too much of a stretch, and you may disagree with me here, to see that how the Ammonites were reacting to God's kindness through David is actually a pattern for all evil and wicked people. Because when wicked and evil people receive God's kindness, their reaction is not to accept that kindness, but to reject it and to abuse it and to look on it with contempt. And this is ultimately fulfilled when God's kindness comes in the form of Jesus. Because when Jesus was hanging on the cross, that was the ultimate act of kindness towards mankind. But how did the people then receive it? They were in disbelief, but rather than moving from disbelief to acceptance, they moved from disbelief to abuse. So in Luke chapter 23, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. So the reaction of the Ammonites is actually a pattern of all wicked and evil people to God's kindness. And we see that ultimately fulfilled in Jesus on the cross. Because that's how people react to God's kindness. Now as we read on, things don't get any better 
In verse 6 it says, When the Ammonites realized that they had become obnoxious to David, they hired 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers from Beth Rohob and Zobah, as well as the king of Merkah with a thousand men, and also 12,000 men from Tob. On hearing this, David sent out sent Job out with the entire army of fighting men. The Ammonites came out and drew up in battle formation at the entrance of the city gate, while the Arameans of Zobah and Rehob and the men of Tob and Melchah were by themselves in the open country. Job saw that the battle lines in front of him and behind him, so he selected some of the best troops in Israel and deployed them against the Arameans. He put the rest of the men under the command of Abishai his brother and deployed them against the Ammonites. Joab said, "If the Arameans are too strong for me, then you come to my re- you are to come to my rescue. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come to rescue you. Be strong and let us fight bravely for our people and for the cities of our God. The Lord will do what is good in His sight." Now, the Ammonites uh, realized that what they had done had offended David. Uh, literally, the word here is they became a bad stink a bad smell, they were like garbage to David. And I'm sure that they would have realized that this was what would have happened. But instead of apologizing or appeasing or trying to reconcile with David, they decided to up the stakes, right? So they said, okay, let's let's get some mercenaries from the Arameans. So if you look at this map here, it helps us understand a bit about the geography. You see that the Ammonites are to the east, Oh no, this is, uh, the Syrians are actually, this is modern, geogra- uh, this is not ancient world, okay, this is modern world. So you can see where, uh, uh, it says Syria. Syria is actually, uh, the Arameans. Okay, so the, the Syrians came from the Arameans, Syrians are, are Arameans. So I'm gonna put the old map here, this is the older map. You see that Syria is actually to the northeast of Israel. So the Ammonites, Ammon, to the east, Towards the north and the northeast are the Syrians and the Arameans. So they hire these mercenaries, the Arameans. And uh, next slide. So they came from Rehob, Zobah, Mecca, and Tob. Altogether, 33,000 men. Not a small inconsequential force, but a huge force. A large number of people. Now we don't know from reading the text whether... The Ammonites hired them for offensive or defensive purposes. Were they doing it aggressively or were they doing it for protection or insurance? But I think the point that we are meant to get when we look at this passage was that because of David's hesed kindness, there is real danger now to God's people. Because when we look at the description of the preparation of the battle, we see that actually it is going to be a very close-run thing. It's not going to be like Israel winning 10-0 or something. It's going to be, there's going to be real possibilities of loss. First of all, when you look at the size of the army, the armies are so great that in front of Israel and behind Israel are the opposing armies. That means that the army must be big enough to go around on both sides. And even Joab's words to his brother, if I can't handle the Arameans, you better come and help me. You better come literally, the words, save me. If you can't handle Ammonites, I will come and rescue you, I will save you. So that means there is a real risk that they will be overwhelmed by the forces in which they are fighting against. And last of all, 
Look at what it says there in verse 12. In verse 12 it says, Be strong and let us fight bravely for our people and for the cities of our God. So what it's really saying here is, we better win this battle because if we lose this battle, that means the cities of Israel are actually at risk. Our people are at risk. So the whole point here is, is kindness worth giving? Was this Hesed kindness of David worth giving after all to the Ammonites? I remember when I was growing up, uh, even not too long ago, there were times where I saw someone needing help. Maybe it was a blind person, maybe someone fell down, maybe there's a motorist having problems. And sometimes uh, my relatives would say to me, and I'm sure some have said to you because someone shared it in our Bible study, don't go and kachow. Right? Don't meddle in people's business. You know, you only cause trouble for yourself. Don't go and stick your nose in these things. And I know that there's this saying, right, which says, no good deed goes unpunished. So if you look it up on Google, uh, literally it means beneficial actions often go unappreciated and are met with outright hostility. If they are appreciated, they often lead to additional requests. If you look at this passage, the question is, is this offer of kindness going to lead to Israel actually being destroyed? Because actually it came from that kindness, right? If it wasn't for that kindness, Israel and David wouldn't be in this position. But you notice here that for the first time, God is actually mentioned in verse 12 at the end that the Lord will do what is good in his sight. Now when Joab says that, He's actually saying it as a prayer of hope, an assurance of faith, a confidence in God. And as we read it, we actually see that for the first time, God is the one who's actually working behind the scenes. He is the main actor behind all the things that are happening. And he will not let his kindness be despised or his own people be put at risk because of that kindness. And that is why when you read about the battle... It's actually a non-event. Because it says there in verse 15, sorry, uh, verse 13, Then Joab and the troops with him advanced to fight the Arabians, and they fled before him. They melted before him. They ran away. When the Ammonites realized that the Arabians were fleeing, they fled from before Abishai and went inside the city. So Joab returned from fighting the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. Why did the battle end this way? It's because God was doing His good. Now, one thing you have to notice is that there was very little or no bloodshed. So when it says Joab returned from fighting and went back to Jerusalem, actually he didn't do much fighting at all. So, I mean, he was just advancing and then people were moving away and running away from him. But in a sense, that shows that the kindness of God is still at work. Because if Joab really wanted to, he could have attacked and tried to destroy the city of the Ammonites. Because after all, they had humiliated and treated with contempt God's messengers. He could have pursued the Arameans, the mercenaries, and tried to destroy them. But instead, they just went back home. So again, we see that in a way, there is kindness still at work. But the story continues. Verse 15. After the Arameans saw that they had been routed by Israel, they regrouped. Hadadah, 
had Arameans brought from beyond the Euphrates River, they went to Helam with Sobak, the commander of Hadazar's army, leading them. When David was told of this, he gathered all Israel and crossed the Jordan and went to Helam. The Arameans formed their battle lines to meet David and fought against him. But they fled before Israel and David killed 700 of their charioteers and 40,000 of their foot soldiers. He also struck down Shobak, the commander of the army, and he died there. When all the kings who were vassals at Hadassah saw that they had been routed by Israel, they made peace with the Israelites and became subject to them. So the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites anymore. Now, how did the battle end? There wasn't really much bloodshed. It wasn't as if it's recorded there that thousands of people died. Basically, the Ammonites went home, back to their city, and the Arameans went back to where they came from up north. So the Arameans could have left it at that, right? They could say, well, you know, well, I don't know whether they got paid or whatever. They could have just gone home and said, well, okay, you know, it's too bad, right? These things happen. That's the way the cookie crumbles. But instead, they felt humiliated, they felt dishonored, and they wanted revenge. And here we see that Shobak clearly has aggressive and hostile intent towards Israel. See, if you look at this map, uh, another map, it says that uh, the Arameans called reinforcements from beyond the Euphrates River to come to where they were at to help them to fight. Now, if you look at where Damascus is, where Syria is, and you look at where the Euphrates River, you can see how far the armies of the Arameans came towards Israel. So what is actually in view here is a clear, hostile, and aggressive intent at war against God's people. Even though the Arameans were shown kindness and let go, they wanted to come back because they felt dishonored. And they even appointed Shobak as the leader in order to bring this war to Israel. And that's why when you read in verse 17, it seems as if this time, the armies are even greater than before. Because earlier on, when they went to fight the Ammonites, in verse 7, it says the entire army of the fighting men went. But in verse 17, it says all Israel went. So it's almost like he called up the national service, right? And everybody now went to war. And not just Joab went to war, but David himself went to war against the Arameans. And this time, there is real war, real loss, real destruction. Because David killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers. Now, the mercenary force itself was 33,000 soldiers. So we're looking at a much greater battle and a much greater loss of life. And Shobak himself was struck down and the kings or the vassal states who are under the Arameans now come under Israel and have made peace with Israel. So as we come to the end of this chapter... We are, we are left with a situation where kindness was given both to the Arameans and the Ammonites. But both times, the kindness is despised and it leads to tragic ends. The Arameans lose many lives and their vessel states, the Ammonites are now isolated. And I think we're meant to see it as a contrast to chapter 9 because Mephibosheth accepted God's kindness through David and was now part of the family, the Ammonites and the Arameans despised God's kindness in David, which led to death, destruction, and isolation. 
Now, I think that when we look at this passage, it's meant to be like a, <clears throat> a cautionary tale. But it's more than just a cautionary tale. It's meant to tell us, don't despise God's kindness. Right? Don't treat God's kindness like the Ammonites and the Arameans because you do so at your own risk. I was reading a commentary and he, uh, this guy who preached on it said that actually this pattern of despising and spitting at God's kindness keeps repeating itself over and over again to the time of Jesus and will keep going on till Jesus comes. That people will keep rejecting God's kindness, despising God's kindness, and they will be destroyed because of it. So Psalm chapter 2 is actually uh, encapsulates this idea of people continue rising up to fight against God, but at the end, being destroyed because of it. But yet God has said that He's coming to them in kindness. So I think we, we looked at this uh, psalm when you did the responsive reading. So it's up here on the slide. And again, it keeps talking about why, why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? It begins with this question, why do they do that? It's the same question we ask of the Amorites and the Arameans. Why do they want to keep fighting against David and God's kindness? Why do they do that? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and His anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. But the, the one enthroned in heaven laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. But the last part actually shows us that those who receive God's kindness in the Son and kiss the Son actually have refuge in Him. So when we look at this passage in chapter 10 of 2 Samuel, it's not just something that happened far, far away in a long, long place, in a long lost place in history. But actually it shows a pattern of man's rejection of God's kindness and the awful consequences, the shattering consequences of doing that. So I think for ourselves as we reflect on this passage, I find myself asking, do I despise God's kindness to me in Jesus? If you're here today, you have to ask yourself the same question. Do you despise God's kindness to you in Jesus? Because when I look at the Ammonites, when I look at the Arameans, I remember that boy in Malaysia all those years ago. Why? Why didn't he just wear those shoes? Why did he insist on doing it? Was he foolish? Was he stubborn? Was he ignorant? Was he rebellious? I really don't know. It could be the same for the Ammonites or the Arameans. Why did they react this way? Why were they rebellious against that? Why were they foolish? Why were they ignorant? Again, we don't know why. But at the end of the day, the lesson for us is, don't be like them. Take caution for their, their consequences. Don't despise or treat with contempt God's kindness, especially in Jesus. Because if you do so, then it will end badly for you, just as it did for the Arameans and Ammonites. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to ask you that you help us to understand your word, to see from 
the experience of the Ammonites and the Arameans, whom through David you show such great kindness, but yet they rejected that kindness, they abused that kindness, they treated that kindness shamefully. But in the end, it was tragic for them. It was shattering for them. We pray for ourselves that when we see your kindness in Jesus Christ, that we never take it for granted or despise it or treat it with contempt. But rather, we may be like Mofiboshesh, to grab it with both hands and to really accept it wholeheartedly. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.